0: You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. This episode of The Way Home Podcast is brought to you by the new CSB Men of Character Bible. I uh, just want to say a quick word about the CSB translation. I've come to really enjoy it and uh, use it in my preaching and my personal devotional time. I love both its accuracy, but also the readability, uh, particularly as you go through the Old Testament. Well, this new Men of Character Bible, uh, CSB Men of Character Bible, is uh, edited by renowned Bible teacher Dr. Gene Getz, and uh, he guides men through scripture by exploring the lives of men of character uh, found throughout the Bible. If you have a man in your life that would like to get a new study Bible, maybe a good gift ahead of Father's Day. This would be a great gift. It is full of character profiles of some of the most worthy examples of godly character in scripture, of biblical figures who brought leadership, wisdom, and inspiration uh, to God's people. Each of these men faced trials, frustrations, and even failure, and yet were empowered by God to persevere and achieve great things for his glory. Uh, this would be a great gift for the man in your life, the CSB Men of Character Bible. If you go to lifeway.com during the month of May, you can get it for 40% off, which is a great discount. So go to lifeway.com and get the Men of Character Bible at 40% off. We want to thank the good friends at the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, for sponsoring this episode of The Way Home. Well, hello and welcome, my friends, to the Way Home podcast. So glad that you are joining us today. We are back with another great conversation. Today, I've invited back my good friend, Brett McCracken. Brett works and writes for the Gospel Coalition. Uh, He's also a prolific writer. He's written for places like Wall Street Journal and other outlets. Uh, He is a really discerning guide to kind of understanding culture, whether it's art or movies or music. He has a new book that I think is so needed. It is called the Wisdom Pyramid. Uh, we are living in an age of just unprecedented information coming at us from, from everywhere. And this is something I wrote about a little bit in my book, Away With Words. We are inundated with information on our screens. Uh, we can search via Google, we get alerts. We have newsletters we subscribe to. We have social media that we can scroll. How do we sort through all this information? As Christians, part of what makes us human, not just as Christians, but part of what makes us human as image bearers is an insatiable curiosity to know about God and about his world. But as Christians, we need to be discerning about the kinds of information we intake and about our media diet. Brett has an interesting concept that I think will be very helpful called the wisdom pyramid, where we kind of prioritize what information goes in the Bible, uh, the church, reading good books. Obviously, the internet can be useful in many ways. So how do we do all this? Well, Brett jumps on to talk about the age of the internet and making those discerning decisions. So I think you'll want to listen to this conversation with Brett McCracken. Well, I'm glad to have my good friend Brett McCracken here on uh, the Way Home Podcast. Brett, thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dan, for having me.
0: So, Brett, we've known each other for a while, and uh, I think I've had you on a few times, but I think I first started reading your stuff when you you wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal back in the day. Remember that?
1: Wow, yeah, that's going way back. That was 2010, I think, so more than a decade ago. That was with my, my book, Hipster Christianity
0: which I loved. And it was funny when you wrote that, it was like, yeah, 2010. And I was kind of thinking the same way, you know, I was trying to figure out where, where am I here? Like, am I, I'm not progressive, but I'm not fundamentalist, but I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. Right. You know, and the emergent stuff was like a big deal back then. Yep. Um, yep. That's actually where folks like places like TGC were helpful. Kevin DeYoung wrote a book, like basically Totally. I'm young. Why but we're um, not emergent. Yeah which was really yeah. formative and helpful for me. Anyways, and your piece was awesome. I I I'm, so I just I've been reading your stuff ever since. But anyways, fast forward, uh writing for TGC, working for TGC and doing a bunch of writing, but I wanted to have you on because of this great new book called The Wisdom Pyramid. You know, I th- I think putting into print like what a lot of us have been thinking about like this the digital age. I mean, the genesis of that book, did it kind of start with this concept, the idea of the wisdom pyramid that you've, you've been developing? It
1: it started with the, um, with the graphic. So the, the idea is taking the food pyramid, which was kind of guidance for a physical diet in order to be physically healthy, what foods should we eat and applying that to kind of our information landscape with so many different sources to kind of consume what would be a diet. conducive to wisdom. So I I had a graphic designer friend, like I I sketched it out on a napkin. Like here's what I would want it to look like. Like the Bible is like the base, the most important food group at the bottom. And then, and then I, you know, these other categories. So he created it and I used it. Um, I debuted the wisdom pyramid as a concept in 2017 at a humble beast event in Portland canvas conference where they asked me to speak on the topic of like fake news and how can we be wise as Christians in this like post-truth fake news world. And so I used the wisdom pyramid that I had created as like my basically visual aid to kind of help supplement my talk. And so that's where it began. And, you know, fast forward three, four years after that, as I started thinking about what I wanted my next book to be and what topic I Thought would be timely and interesting to write about. I just kept coming back to this wisdom pyramid idea. Like it just seems so timely and helpful for all of us to just do an audit of our intakes and what's what constitutes our our own personal diets of information because it can make us either healthy or sick. And <laughs> currently, I think our diets are making us mostly sick. So um, I thought it would be a good timely book to write and Crossway agreed. And so here we are.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it really addresses something I've been thinking about a lot. Um, And I try to address a little bit in my book away with words and you've, I think you've really hit on the sort of um, the intake of content. And, And one of the things I like about your approach is the digital age is here to stay. Right. So, I mean, we can all wish for the 1950s, but we're you know the digital age is here <laughs> to stay, the internet's not going anywhere unless we all suddenly become omni. Yeah. So we need tools like how do we how do we deal with this, right? Um, and I really think your book's important now because you know, really in the last year I've been thinking through how we're catechized really by all this information. Um, and yeah, one, sure. one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, when I grew up, my parents really in that age really talked about how you can be corrupted by the culture, right? Garbage in garbage out, watch you know, like Hollywood and pop culture. And they were right. Like, and I'm, I'm trying to do that with my kids. You're trying to do that with your kids to a certain extent, maybe not the, the lines where my parents drew Where like, I had to, yeah. you know, half of CCM I couldn't listen to. I had to like hide my Michael W. Smith, <laughs> Yeah, but that same approach. Right. But I'm, I wonder now, Brett, if we have to have that same preaching and teaching for the content we consume even like political content right like i've been saying to people if you if you're listening to like four or five political podcasts every day and you're getting riled up maybe exchange a couple of those for you know a sermon podcast or something that's better so talk about that situation where christians are being really catechized by their content
1: yeah it's it's for sure what's happening. You know, it. we are formed by where we spend our time, you know, where we lend our ears, what we let into our hearts and minds that, that naturally forms us. So spiritual formation is happening 24 seven in life. Right. And it just so happens that a couple hours a week, we have distinctly Christian spiritual formation going on at church, maybe, you know, at a, in a Bible study, but in the digital age we have we're on our devices we're online we're consuming all this content 60 70 hours every week and all of that is forming us spiritually and so yeah. it's no wonder that it's no wonder that so many churches are losing people right because they're they're being pulled their hearts are being pulled more by the various echo chambers p- politically or on certain issues and that's where their their hearts are being taken so it's uh, yeah, it's super concerning, and I think every pastor would probably have stories from 2020 of people who they thought were solid in their faith, but because everyone spent more time online than they ever spent and less time in church than they ever did, it was just a horrible recipe for this kind of negative um, formation to accelerate. And so then we came to January 6th, which like I was watching the storming of the Capitol on, on TV. And I was just thinking this is the real world implications of what, how we are being formed in our digital kind of echo chamber bubbles. Like you have people because of, because of the the particular media diet that they've consumed, they firmly believe very sincerely that it's their job to kind of take back the nation from a conspiracy, you know, to overthrow the election or whatever. And so this is there's we're seeing more and more of the real world implications of this kind of toxic media diet that's forming people in very extreme skewed ways where the reality exists somewhere but each of us has very skewed versions of reality based on our respective diets of information.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about we we live in this this age where So much input is coming in. So many things are coming in. And there's two things I'm thinking about, Brett, and I'd love you to expound on. One is the difference between kind of junk food information and genuine curiosity. Because, you know, on the one hand, the Bible talks about, we have a whole book, Proverbs saying, curiosity for knowledge and wisdom about God's world is a good sign. It's a sign, you know, what is it? Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the, the acknowledgement that you're not God and you need to learn stuff yeah is a is good thing and yet you also have paul saying don't be a busybody," and you know talk the bible talks about tail bearers so i'd love for you to expound on the difference between junk food information and really good you know yeah. genuine curiosity um, yeah that's good um, on that so may, maybe talk about that first yeah. and then i had a, a follow-up
1: yeah no i love that hey i think this book is nothing if not a a challenge for Christians to be more curious, genuinely curious about the world God has made. I'm just trying to point people to places where that actually is fruitful. Like the nature, the arts, beauty, books, you know, the Bible, church, there's all these wonderful places to kind of mine the depths of the mysteries and complexities and beauty of God's world. And Christians should be the most curious to explore all of that and to glean truth and wisdom from it you know where we can but we're not doing that these days cuz we're spending most of our time in the junk food information space of scrolling aimlessly so that's how i would define junk food information as kind of this the the aimless wander mm-hmm. online where you just pull out your device because we've been habituated to do that in a really creepy pavlovian way we can't sit still anywhere for long for very long anymore without pulling out our phone and just by habit starting to like, you know, scroll. <laughs> and we don't have anything in particular we're needing to do. We don't have anything in mind that we're trying to discover. It's not really a curiosity. It's just a boredom and it's a habit. And we're clicking on the things the algorithms want us to click on. We're we're watching the things Netflix wants us to watch next. And, and of course, as you know, the Silicon Valley's their main goal is to just keep us hooked, right? To keep us on the platforms, however they can. So they've figured out all the tricks to do that, and they've been successful at it. That they have learned how to um, keep us addicted to junk food information, in the same way that junk food companies, literally like Doritos, has figured out how to keep us hooked to yeah. <laughs> Doritos. Um, it's it's all about profit and finding ways to make consumers uh, unable to resist. And so if if there's any goal I have with this book, it's to help Christians resist, resist the temptations to to only be consuming junk food um, and, and be intentional about, like, consuming the more nourishing, um, you know, intakes that are that, that are out there in the world. There's so many rich things, books, you know, uh, the arts is near and dear to my heart. Um, nature the bible church even on the internet there's great stuff to be found Mm. right there's it's not like the internet doesn't have anything wonderful and nourishing there right it's just you have to be intentional about spending your time on those things versus the aimless scroll where you're just kind of at the mercy you're passively at the mercy of the algorithms
0: yeah i mean there's great stuff on the internet i I mean i I listened a a month or two ago to a whole lecture series on covenant theology by lig duncan which was just wonderful right uh, i listened to a whole church history lecture a couple of years ago by um carl truman which is fantastic and i and i have podcasts that are great and long form and gosh i wouldn't even know about the gospel cold i wouldn't think i'd know about brett mccracken if it wasn't for the internet right totally. so yeah. and i order books and all that so that's such a good word the other thing i want to say about that and i want to actually ask you about the actual pyramid because i have some questions about that but um I also think about it occurred to me a couple of years ago it's actually okay and it's actually healthy if there are things that everyone's talking about that I don't know about right yeah so that, yeah. like that's yeah. one of the ways ways you sort through junk food versus you know there's new stories that I don't have to be an expert on or know the arguments right right um and I found there's an inverse relationship between knowing like the controversies on Twitter mm-hmm. and actually being invested in local community life. So like, if I know all of this, but then I'm talking, you know, and it was a few years ago where I would go home and talk to my wife and have all these, talk about all these things. And, and she doesn't know, like, cause she's like not living that way. And, yeah. and so I realized, or, I, or I'd go to church yeah. and realize the people in my church yeah. don't know the last 15 controversies on Twitter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there seems to be an inverse relationship there. Right.
1: You're so right. You know, one of the things that I love is going on going on a vacation or something where I had turn off my phone for a few days. i'm I'm blissfully unaware of the twenty Twitter controversies that will have come and gone <laughs> over, over the span of a couple of days. And I come back and I don't I would, I would I never know any i'm I'm no worse for the wear for not having been aware of, you know, what was consuming people so passionately on Twitter for a day. Um, It's just a weird, surreal world that doesn't, like you said, it doesn't map onto the real tangible world all that much. Like I've had the same experience where there's been something that me as like a fairly plugged in kind of digital editor for the gospel coalition, like I have to be aware to some extent of the Twitter controversies but, like, I'm often at church in my local church where I'm an elder, I'm a leader of our local church, and I, I rarely meet people who are aware or interested in the the kind of um, Christian Twitter debates that are going on. Um, yeah. So one of the things, like, one of the themes that I come back to a lot in the book is just the importance of, like, tangible reality, Like your local community needs to be more important to you than the abstract community online, which, you know, we can involve ourselves in that to some extent. And there's fruit that good fruit that can come from that. But we're just wired for local embodied connection. And that's where mission is most effective, I think, is on the local level. So I know people that literally spend all of their energies getting riled up about some social justice cause somewhere far away from their home, and they join the kind of Twitter pile-on, whatever about that, and they don't have energy left to actually address the injustices five miles away from their house, and they're not really if they're honest, they don't really care much about that because there's no social capital. There's no kind of virtues that can be signaled publicly by just kind of spending your Saturday morning distributing food to the homeless in your neighborhood, which is what our church does in in Southern California. So I just think if all of us kind of recommitted to to real embodied life and mission and, and instead of being depleted, by all the passions we're exerting online, it would it would be a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think so too. And one of the things I've been noticing, and I've been in advocacy for most of you know a lot of my adult life, whether whether I'm a pastor writing op eds or I'm working for an organization that does advocacy or
1: yeah, ERLC, you know, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, helping people run for office. But what one of the things I've noticed is there is, and it's more glaring now. There's a difference between you know advocacy that is trying to build a coalition to advocate for a vulnerable people group and actually move yeah. the ball down the field versus right. yeah. this kind of performative activism. That's really just about heresy hunting. Right. And actually doesn't get things done, you know, and, and there's a, a few examples of this that I've seen, and I, I would just love your take on this criminal justice reform is the one remaining area where people have worked to build broad coalitions. You know, I look at pr- prison fellowship and right on criminal and, and their approach. They could be all on social, just dragging everyone who isn't pure on this issue. But instead, what they did is they went state to state. They went to the Capitol and they worked with whoever would work with them. And they actually put points on the board. I mean, they've, they've right. gotten stuff passed in all the states and in DC. Yeah. I mean, they've even got a law and order president to, to yeah. sign the First Step Act. Yeah. You know, so you have that and then you have activism on a lot of other issues was just about I'm going to declare this or I'm going to drag this person for not being pure enough. It seems like those are the two kind of competing ideas of of doing activism, right?
1: Yeah, I know. I think I think you're right. And I think that sadly, as much as the kind of rise in social justice, performative activism feels like it's helping make people, you know, woke and just aware of like injustice. I just don't know that it's moving the needle in productive directions. Like I think you're absolutely correct. Most of the real kind of on the ground um, coalition building, kind of relational building, working across divides, that's where the the needle is moved on this stuff. So um, yeah, Gen Z especially I think lives in a world where activism is very tied up in social capital and kind of you know being seen to care. Mm -hmm. about the right things, Um, but we need to kind of make it as compelling to them that offline actual activism without taking a photo and posting it on Instagram about it is also something that's cool to do. Um, So yeah, that's something I was talking to a few people about at the conference, TGC Mm -hmm. conference this week, Uh, just having some, you know, nerdy conversations about (laughs) All sorts of stuff. But it seems like this, it seems like there's a disconnect right now between um, on any given issue. There's like the discourse about the issue on social media and like saying the right things about it and using the right language about it for the right audience to hear, the right tribe to hear. It's like that's the most important thing. And it's disconnected in a weird way from the reality that's. Being discussed, <laughs> so yeah. there's some re- there's some reality out there. Whether we're talking about the reality of the Atlanta mass shooting or the reality of any given kind of um, racial, you know, um, policing incident, there's a there's a reality, and then there's like the discourse. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot of young people, particularly mostly, just care about the discourse. It's mostly just about. Are the right people saying the right things? Who's silent right now? Who's speaking right now? And what are they saying? Far down the list of importance is the facts and the actual reality about these things. So it's just a strange world that we live in where the the social conversation and the performative dimension of the discourse is more real to some people than the actual reality of the thing, the catalyzing thing.
0: That's Definitely so true. Awesome. And and actually, in many ways, the discourse is actually counterproductive to solving the real thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So yeah. actually, to solve the real thing, you have to have the courage to ignore the discourse, mm-hmm. which, which is interesting mm-hmm. to me. So I want to go Definitely. through uh the wisdom pyramid because I, I just think this is fascinating and I and I, I really like it. And when you first came out with this graphic a few years ago, I thought this was brilliant. And so you have you know, at the base of it, the Bible, uh, our daily bread, and just kind of working up local church, tradition, nature and beauty, books, internet, and I right.
1: think you're looking at the the old version. Okay. Basically. Yeah, there's a newer version if you Google Crossway Wisdom Pyramid. So with the book version that we I kind of reordered the levels a little bit from the original
0: version. Um okay. but it, well, why don't it's we go through the same. Why yeah. don't we go through the original version? Uh I'm sure you can. Kind of walk yeah. through it if you want. Yeah, I mean, I can
1: try to go through it quickly. It's it. This is a hard challenge for me to go to be concise and like talking about each of these because yeah, I wrote a whole book about it. But um, yeah, I mean, truth is obviously the foundation because this is the only infallible source of truth we have. So if you're gonna build any sort of solid foundation of wisdom, right, it has to be on God's word. It's it's his direct revelation to us, and then um, the church. I put kind of the second most foundational spot because my thinking is like any the, the proximity to God is a key for like wh- where we can find wisdom in life. The things that are closest to God are going to be more nourishing because He is wisdom. He is like the source. So the th- things that are closest to the source. Are going to be the best for us. So, with you know, the Word of God, the Bible is the most kind of straight from the source, and then the church, I would say, is the second most because it's it's um, an interpretive community that both locally in fellowship and then throughout time, church tradition has been this kind of interpretive community of Scripture, helping us understand it, apply it in our lives. Um, so that's. Critical for our wisdom, and then there's other aspects of the church that help us become wise. Right, just the way that it takes us out of our individualistic kind of bubble orientation and points us to something bigger than ourselves. Like it, it orients us around God and work and worship, which is so critical for our wisdom. Um, and then nature is the the next one up in the pyramid, and that's uh, going with the whole like proximity to God uh, rubric for how I ordered things, uh, nature is God's creation. So we are, we are close to God in nature by virtue of it, it being the artwork that he made. Mm. So you can, you know, even scripture tells us, right. That the the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, Romans one talks about this. There's things that we can know about God just by the world he has made. So there's lots of wisdom we can gain from nature. I think it's in a digital age where we're addicted to screens and we spend a lot of our time in this disembodied kind of immaterial space out in the cloud. Um, I think it's more important than ever that we have, you know, a real connection to creation and, and included in creation is our own bodies, right? So in that chapter on nature in the book, I, I get into like gender ideology and how You know, part of the reason why transgenderism is on the rise, I think it has something to do, there's a lot of causes, but I think it has something to do with how we live our lives increasingly disembodied. So you can start to have this kind of concept of the self that has no necessary connection to anything physical, including your own body, because we're starting to live our lives in this avatar space, right, where you can be, you can present yourself as whatever you want to be. And so why not start to, you know, conceive of your gender identity as something totally untethered to biology? So nature is vital for our wisdom for a lot of things, including a lot of the like pressing issues and complexities of Mm -hmm. sexuality and gender in today's world. Um, And then um, beauty. um, This is basically speaking to the fact that wisdom isn't just cerebral. It's not just facts in your brain that make you wise. We are, you know, we are holistic creatures. We're not just brains on sticks. God created us with senses to to taste and see that he is good, not just to know cerebrally that he is good. Um, and beauty and the arts work on that level. They work on kind of the emotional, kind of affective, tangible, sensory level. And I think that that can be a really vital part of becoming wise is kind of appreciating the arts and beauty and and the Bible itself is, is full of beauty, right? Like so much of the old Testament is, is beauty, beauty and poetry. And, um, Jesus uses storytelling and parables when he could have just given us a bullet point list of propositions. God could have revealed himself in a very like didactic kind of way, but he revealed himself through beauty, through the forms of art. And that's no small thing. Um, for us. So um and then books, I have a whole category in the pyramid for books and this one it seems like a no-brainer if you're going to be wise, probably a good thing to read books. But I'm talking here not just about the content in books can make you wise, but mm-hmm. also the way that you like reading a book I think helps strengthen muscles in us for critical thinking, for going deep with one idea for a sustained amount of time. All of these are kind of capacities that we're losing, I think in the digital age when we're like, so frenetically consuming, you know, bits and pieces of information, disconnected information, reading a book, sitting down with one author's perspective for a long period of time is a really helpful capacity to recover. And so um, I get into a lot more with books that, We could talk about but i'll move on to the 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 top of the pyramid the least important kind of the fats oils and sweets category of the food pyramid is the internet and social media and uh, we've talked already about some of the dangers we're seeing with that but i will say like i could have left it off the pyramid I, Mm. i could have suggested that to be wise in today's world you just need to like throw away your phone and go offline but like you mentioned earlier, Dan, that's not realistic. Like we we are here. There's no going back. This is an, a digital age, the internet age. So it's there. I think it can be a source of wisdom for us, but it has to be used. I think in moderation and also just really intentionally. Like it's when it becomes the staple of your diet. It's when we flip the pyramid and kind of put the internet category as the foundation which a lot of us that's functionally how we live, I think that's where we're going crazy. That's where there's so much like sickness in our society because we've made the junk food, our, our main course. And um, so we, we just have to be careful with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I have it pulled up here. I have the, I have the the latest and greatest one pulled up here. Um, Okay. Yeah. And it's, and I just love the way it's laid out and it's interesting. So I'm just going to recap, like, you know, the sort of Bible at the foundation and then the church on top of that, and then nature and then books and then beauty and then, um, internet, social media. What's interesting to me about this is not, you know, I like the fact that it's kind of a layered parent pyramid, because when I think about, obviously the Bible's our foundation, but even when you start talking about the church, we're not just talking about attending church on. Right. On Sunday, or even our small group, but the church is also the church tradition for two thousand yeah. years. Yeah, so there's sure. there's yeah. something to. I mean, I, I'm guessing that's what you intended, and so it seems like we get this flipped because if we get catechized by inter- the internet, mm-hmm. we're going to easily push away from church's historical Christian positions, right? Because we're starting with TikTok instead of, you know, like. Yeah. The church, but it, it seems like if we start with the Bible and then start with what is the church believed for two thousand years, then by the time we get up to the internet, we have that worldview, right? And that
1: I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I like to point out about the structure of the pyramid. It's like those bottom layers, those foundational layers, the Bible and the church. Mm-hmm. They not only function like as a solid horizontal foundation, but there's like a vertical kind of scaffolding going on where. Right, they they keep the upper layers stable, right? Like because mm-hmm. you have the solid foundations of Scripture, God's infallible kind of ultimate trump card of truth. Um, because we have that as Christians, and because we have two thousand years of church history and wisdom, we should be we should be more um, free to kind of be online and do it well because we can better discern, right? Mm-hmm. Truth from error and fact from fiction. And we should be better able to read widely. Like in, in, like in the books category, I think Christians of all people should be better equipped to kind of read people they disagree with and read books that are potentially full of, you know, unhelpful stuff, but also mm-hmm. some helpful stuff. And to be able to know the difference. And like one of the things that I say in the book's chapter of the book um, that also I think applies to beauty and some of the other categories near the top of the internet uh, is that Christians need to be able to have the capacity to look at any given thing, whether it's a book by an atheist or a film made by a liberal atheist or a TikTok video, you know, from... Whoever, and we need to be able to like celebrate what's good and recognize what's valuable and what's true by common grace, and also at the same time, maybe even in the same piece of culture, recognize that that's okay. That's unhelpful, and I'm just going to discard that. And I think we're just losing the ability to not only as Christians but culture wide. It doesn't seem like we have that ability anymore to like read any given book and agree with some of it, but disagree with a lot of it too. And that's okay. And uh, that's what education means. It's the ability to kind of engage things critically so that you can glean what's helpful, discard what's unhelpful. And, and, uh, it seems like an all or nothing world, right? Where you, where you, you kind of give a rubber stamp, like, yeah, that book was a hundred percent awesome. Like, or, or the opposite, right. Where you're like, Oh, that, that book is like, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. Like chances are most things in life have a little bit of good and a little bit of bad. And we have to be able to tease that out as Christians. And if we can't do that, then it's a really troublesome future. I
0: think. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. And you know, the other, there's a lot of fascinating things about this and I know we're running out of time, but I just like nature being there too, is really important for a couple of reasons. I think you know nature nature is god's general revelation so it is god speaking right but also you know sort of natural law like there's there's things that how god has created the universe um but it seems critical that we don't start with nature like you know i think the the scripture says in the beginning god like we start with god we start with what is the church historically believed and then it that seems like that helps us interpret nature right um so that was that was one observation of this the other observation was I'm so glad you have beauty on here because beauty is so vital art, creativity, wonder, and rest. Yeah. I do think, on some level, Christians are impoverished on one side because we like we stop at books and we don't go up to, to beauty. On the other hand, though, I feel like there's a, also a way where beauty and creativity is the foundation for some people where that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Creativity for is all sure. that matters. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? So maybe talk about those two things.
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I would say any of the categories of the pyramid apart from the Bible, if you made them the foundation, it would be a disaster, right? Including the church, right? Like That's the Catholic problem, right? If you take the church, if you make the church the foundation above scripture or on par with scripture, it just kind of falls apart. So it only works like we can only, I think, gain true wisdom from beauty and nature and all of these other categories if if scripture is below it or, or above it in a sense. as kind of the ultimate authority, right? That before which it it is accountable, you know? So um, it's kind of what I was saying about like Christians should be the most curious. The, we should be freed up to kind of read the most diverse array of books and explore the arts because we have that like um, that ultimate truth of scripture to kind of be the grid through which everything else is evaluated. Um, And, and yet if you, if you disconnect that, if you're, if you're only going to art, for example, and that's where you're mainly looking for wisdom and it's not really connected to scripture, scriptural truth, then as we know, that leads, that can lead to all sorts of unhealthy, you know, weird places. (laughs) Um, And I, I, being in the arts and being a a writer about movies and culture and music, I see it all the time, right? Even Christian artists, I see kind of going off the rails theologically, because Mm -hmm. for them, creativity in the arts is is a higher kind of authority somehow than scripture. And um, so, but I would argue, though, that the best art, um, the best, you know, beauty is made from that solid foundation of truth of scripture because it it frees you up to, like, you know, do everything in the context of worship, right? God, mm-hmm. God created the world. That's his artwork. And as artists, as creators, we're just kind of remixing his original artwork. We're just taking... The pieces, the raw materials of his art and and doing interesting new things with it um, in a way that should reflect back to him in worship and, and kind of, um, yeah, not just be something that points to us or some other thing, but ultimately points back to God.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Um, that's really good. Well, I want to just really commend uh, the Wisdom Pyramid by Brett McCracken. It's available from Crossway. We'll have links in the show notes. This is a great way. And I know all of you listening, people are really concerned about how do we read the news? How do we process the information? How do we live in this digital age? This is not a book that's going to be cranky and say, we need to like go back to the 1950s the way they used to be. (laughs) Yeah, But it's also not going to just uncritically embrace everything new. And I just really think it's a helpful guide for living in the age that God has called us to live in. So Just want to commend you for writing this, Brett, and I want to encourage our listeners to get it.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Dan. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. I also want to encourage you again to check out my latest book, Away With Words, and you can visit awaywithwordsbook.com. Thank you for listening again to The Way Home Podcast. This is a production of the National Religious Broadcasters.